what didn't we know before that we can learn now about our consumer's behavior? And I guarantee you from doing this for 20 years that running a test will always create more questions than it does provide answers. And so what those questions then do is then feed back into your roadmap and you iterate, you iterate on these tests. So... Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Yeah, having uh, watched him keynote uh, present in Vegas, I'm like, oh, like I'm pumped up. And you know, there there are keynotes where you go to and like you're pumped up. I think um, there was a Seth Godin keynote I went to at one of the Adobe summits that I was like super pumped up coming out of. Um, and there were a couple others that I remember attending, but this was different in that I came now like energized, like ready to go, but. I also had like a notebook of tangible stuff that I could actually start doing, not these kind of just big pie in the sky general ideas. It was like, not only was I, you know, pep rally ready to go, but I had like specific plans. Like it was, it was awesome. So Mm -hmm. looking forward to that. Yeah, it it should be good. And I think like those, those are the kind of the best ones where you do have like that feeling of like, there's something specific I can, I can, use here um because it's easy to get hyped up about something it, it's harder to actually move it forward and and it feels like our space i mean like every business has it but i feel like our space is is definitely has more than its fair share of um what's the word i'm looking for it's not platitudes um but just like we like to celebrate ourselves a lot yeah th- there's a lot of that and a lot of over optimism you know yeah. you, you definitely need to be optimistic with a, a, a tinge of realism but like this this over optimistic feel and it's like in you and i've talked about before we've been to conferences the last couple of years and we keep hearing the same thing over and over again yeah just with new new wrapping around it and you know nothing's actually moving forward yeah that's right so i'm i'm tired of those days yeah and oh by the way i'm I'm glad the beard look is back (laughs) who me yeah yeah it threw me off when it was a clean shaven yeah uh, just like in the summer because i tan so well like i usually shave now i haven't shaved in probably two weeks at this point yeah it's, it's Uh, it's a good look yeah, so um, I you know a couple more beach days coming up. I'll probably shave just because, like, if not, like, it just creates these weird freaking tan lines. I hear you. I wouldn't know. I I I don't I don't I don't think I have a good facial shape for going clean shaven. So <laughs> it's not just not going to happen. Nah. Yeah. Um. But 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 speaking ab- about um 
over optimistic sales pitches um, versus concrete steps to get things done. I want to continue on our theme of like the job of analytics and, and, and sustainable analytics. We've talked about the last couple episodes, but this time I want to focus on optimization techniques. Okay. So um, what does a successful optimization program look like uh, from, from your perspective? Oh man, lots to unpack here. Um, where where to start? I, I guess I'll start on what an unsuccessful optimization program looks like, and then we can kind of backtrack into what companies that we're working with that are doing optimization really, really well are doing different from everybody else. Um, I I think similar to analytics, and we've had these discussions around the appearance of work. Um, you know, the George Costanza looking busy running like you're running around with your going on we talked about that in our last podcast that was published um i watched and that's how a lot of optimization programs are ran as well uh in that it's all about and it's funny because every single time i mention this on linkedin there are always people that want to fight me on it well there's lots of value to doing that i'm like Mm hmm. Mm hmm. If you're doing it for a reason, and what I'm talking about is just running tests to run tests, right? Like, well, we have to run 10 tests concurrently every month. And that's what success is. I'm like, that is stupid. You know, if, if that is your strategy, you're dumb. That is a bad way to run optimization. And I talk about this a lot on LinkedIn. And inevitably, there are people that jump in is like, well, wait a minute, that can be a very useful strategy. And I agree. It's a useful strategy if you have a bigger idea of what you're trying to accomplish. But just to run tests to run tests is an absolute waste of time. And and that's a hallmark of companies that are running low value, low output um, optimization programs or just running tests to run tests. They're just making stuff up to run tests. Um, and it's meaningless. The learnings are low or non-existent. Um, but you know, as we started out this, this conversation, there's a lot of platitudes to go around patting themselves on the back. Oh, look how many tests we ran. We're so successful and doing cool stuff. No, not really. Um, but no one's there to tell them that they're, they're being dumb. And I think that's, that's part of the problem. Um, another part of the problem is a lot of times optimization programs are run in isolation. Uh, typically outside of analytics for sure, but often outside of user experience product. And so it's just a component that's sitting out there kind of in the ether of the business running optimization without being connected to anything else, which is again, another hallmark of companies that are running um, poor analytics programs. Um, and so the, what are the companies that are doing it right look like? Well, they're running highly informed optimization programs, meaning that they're not just sticking their finger in the wind or saying, well, it would be cool to change this button from green to cornflower blue. Um, you know, we should swap this headline from the left rail to the right rail. Sure. Like we should be thinking creatively about what may be meaningful changes, but the most successful optimization programs in the world are using data to inform their optimization roadmaps. We have, you know, we've talked about it. We have a wealth of data, but we're not using it. I, I think we talk about it on our website that we're data rich and insights poor. We have all this data, but we're not using it to inform things like our optimization programs. And we have all this behavioral data right at our fingertips that we can leverage to help inform the things that we should be testing. So 
the companies that we work with that are absolutely elite in running optimization programs are using data to inform their testing programs. They are running a high volume of tests and not all, not every test is designed to massively move the needle. Um, we talked about this, oh geez, how long ago did we have Todd uh, Shaman from The Monitor on as a guest on one of our podcasts? It's been a while. It's been it's a been while, a but I've stole, I stole one of his lines from that podcast where he talked about that they're, they don't call their optimization program an optimization or an A-B testing program. He said, we call it a learning program. Like, oh, I love that. I am stilling that. Um, and so it has become apparent that the most elite companies in the world running optimization programs see their optimization program not just as a way to uh, continually squeeze more margin or continually go you know, incremental improvement in conversion rates, they're primarily looking at their optimization program as a learning program, as a way to test assumptions and learn more about their 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 consumers and the behavior that they're exhibiting. And I just love that. And again, looking at the elite companies, they have that uh, in common. And finally, I would say the most successful optimization programs are also highly, highly integrated, uh, not just with analytics, two ways, analytics informing testing and analytics being used to evaluate the effectiveness of testing, but it's seen as a uh, a tool that can be used by UX, by product, um, to help test their assumptions and inform their roadmap roadmaps as they're thinking about their product design. Uh, so rather than just being a one-off kind of quote marketing tool, I, again, organizations and agencies that push this are really focused on, you know, well, we're going to improve your conversion rate from 5% to 6%. That's awesome. How long is that going to last? What did we learn from it? Um, the most successful companies in the world are looking at it from a, we have a lot of assumptions, we have a lot of ideas, and oh, by the way, we have this incredible tool that we can test those out. And based on our learnings from that, we're going to use that to inform our product design and roadmap. That's where you see elite companies operating. So that was a mouthful, but that's kind of the view of here's what the worst companies are doing and here's what the most elite companies are doing from, from our experience. So I, I want to focus on something you brought up as, as part of that. And you were talking about a lot of companies where they they talk a lot about testing, but they're they're testing things of very little consequence, you know, changing one thing from one side of the page to the other, changing colors and of, of various calls to action. Are there certain things that the industry talks about when it comes to optimization that they you know, it, it, it's pushed out there is like, these are the, the, the absolute techniques that you have to use to get your optimization program humming along. Um, but they actually amount to nothing. Um, for sure, and I'm probably going to upset a lot of people. Uh, this is typically when you see optimization programs referred to as CRO, conversion rate optimization. Okay. Um, you know, conversion rate optimization as a subject is very trendy in like the influencer space, in the uh, growth hacking space, which we haven't heard a lot of from the last couple of years, by the way. Um, but you know, these are like hacky techniques to uh, squeeze more conversion rate out of your funnels. And 
And sure, you know, that is a component of optimization testing, but it's such a, a myopic view and so much of the content, the overwhelming amount of content around optimization strategy is just this very myopic subset of what people call conversion rate optimization. And it is, again, just hyper, hyper focused on hacks and techniques to squeeze a few tenths of a percent gain in conversion rates. Um, and and that myopic view, uh, from our experience, on a long enough time frame, always fails. But, you know, it's good to sell product and it's good to sell service. You know, if you have that compelling story, it's like, wow, we can in- increase your conversion rate X percent or X point basis points um, that resonates with, with buyers. But what you have to think about is the long term sustainability of that program. And there's only so much you can squeeze out of that funnel um, before it's done. So there has to be something more than just taking a hacky approach to squeezing a few tenths of a percentage point gain. Um, it's, it's again, much broader than that. And that's why I love going back to Todd's, uh, way of describing their program at the monitor that it's, it's really more of a learning program than anything else. And oh, by the way, increased conversion rates, improved customer experiences, more, more informed product roadmaps are a result, but those things are again, a result of running a, a proper program and not the strategy of running the program. What do you think are some of the causes of you know organizations not seeing the full potential of testing? Again, the, you know, you're mentioning how it's it's disconnected. It's seen as this nice little thing to do. It's not something that could be integrated with product development, UX, and as seen as actually like a crucial component that could help drive their roadmap. I think it's the same problem that we see with almost every MarTech solution on the marketplace or, or MarTech challenge. Uh, that, that is to say that more often than not, um, these challenges are looked at as technical challenges when realistically what's holding people back um, from, from seeing the true value really isn't a technology problem. There's lots of really strong technical solutions on the market, all of which can be leveraged to create amazing value, but only if you've addressed your people and process issues. And and unfortunately, um, companies either do not have the experience or expertise to address that, or more often than not, they simply don't have the experience, or I guess I would better put it, they don't have the maturity to be able to say we have a people and process problem that needs to be addressed, let's just throw technology at it and that will solve the problem. Um, but whether we're talking data analytics, optimization, personalization, predictive analytics, the number one reason that we're seeing today why companies are not getting the value out of these programs that they could is not because the technology is lacking, it's because they don't have the right people in place. Again, lack of expertise, lack of experience, lack of maturity, um, and or they don't have the right processes in place. And without the right processes in place, it, it becomes um, just chaotic and people throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks. You get the, the hippo mentality, the loudest voice in the room. You know, the highest ranking executive is going to win the arguments and, and rarely, rarely do those things um, produce any sort of meaningful value over the long term? So let's 
let, let's talk about um, you know the the technology being the band-aid for for the for the people problems. You know, we've talked a lot about it on the analytics side, and you know, we we've had our regular bashing of of analytics sales where it's the just put this up and you can collect all of this data. Just move to our platform and our platform's easier to implement. And you know, we we've talked about all of the various sales pitches. Why, why do you think when it comes to testing, we've talked about it for analytics, but testing, where do people, how do people fall for that trap of, um, you know, just a new platform is going to solve all of our ills? I, again, I think it goes back to a people issue, um, lack of experience, lack of expertise, lack of maturity. They, they have no other way of addressing their challenges other than throwing technology at it. And, and we've been brainwashed to believe that technology solves everything. Um, and I think that that is, is part of the problem. And it's definitely true in the optimization space. But we have this, with this belief that you know, our, our saviors are based in Silicon Valley. We saw it in Utah at the start of the pandemic where a bunch of local uh, tech, tech bros in Utah came to the forefront and said, oh, we're going to solve this challenge. And we, we have this plan. I'm like, you guys don't know shit about, you know, viruses and global pandemics. What are you going to do? But we have this belief that, oh, they've started a software company so they can solve any problem in the world. Of course, it was a spectacular failure, but they grifted the government out of a bunch of money. That's a different story. But we have this belief that that technology is in, in the solution. And a lot of times it is, you know, a lot of times we have to have the right uh, software for what we're trying to solve for, but it's difficult to have the right software, the right solutions without um, the right people in place. Um, and oftentimes we, ch we choose, we select the wrong software because we have the wrong people in place. Again, lacking in experience and expertise and so what happens in those scenarios? If you have a team that is understaffed and the people it is staffed with have very little experience, how do they make their choices on what software to use? What would be your guess? You're on mute. My bad. Uh, whichever's the shiniest. Yeah. Whichever the, you know, whoever has the best sales and marketing campaign to show how, hold on, I got to let the dog in because she's home alone and sad now. Um, so yeah, I mean, they end up, they end up buying whoever gives them the fanciest sales pitch, not what's the best solution for them because they lack the experience and expertise to be able to select the right software. So again, like I think with so many of the problems, yes, technology is important. Yes. Selecting the right technology is important, but if you don't have the right people in place, this is going to be really, really, excuse me, really, really incredibly difficult problem to solve. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you have a better chance of making the problem worse than better by not having the right people in place. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the flip side of, of things. So, you know, we've been talking about where, you know, people you know, make missteps or where the, the optimization program isn't working as well or is it's not in a position to be as powerful as it could be let's talk about those organizations you gave the example with todd earlier on you know when we were introducing the topic 
those organizations that you've seen that their optimization program is is in a position to be incredibly powerful. What things do folks in that organizations do to either make sure that they have proper alignment or are able to do because they have proper alignment? Like what are some of the techniques that you've seen them employ? Sorry, I say that again. So, so I, I want to get into techniques that are employed by organizations that have a successful optimization program. And I know like early on you were talking about people alignment in the organization and whatnot. So from a technique perspective, what are things that organizations have done to ha get that proper alignment or techniques that they're able to apply specifically to the optimization program because they have that right alignment? Yeah. So I'm going to go back to some of the things that Todd talked about. And if you can uh, make a note to track down his episode and, and link it in the show notes. I think it's, it's definitely worth a, a re-listen or a, a listen uh, for our, for those that haven't heard it. Cause it, it was a very insightful episode, but I think there are a few techniques um, that are, are being leveraged. And, and one is the cyclical nature of, of an optimization program. And, and, and Todd really talked about this from a learning perspective that, um, it's it's not a linear approach where you test one component and then test something else the way that Todd looks at it, the way that a lot of these elite companies that we work with look at it is a cycle of learning. And it's that the, the more we the more we learn, the more we discover we don't know and want to learn more. And, and so these these programs are set up in such a way that they run incredibly efficiently. And what they look like is they look like this cycle of using data to inform test ideas, then prioritizing those test ideas, testing them, then using analytics to dig deep into the results. I, again, I, I want to stop here and highlight this as a major, major differentiator between, you know, pedestrian programs and elite programs, you know, your everyday programs are just kind of using the dashboards and the directions from your, op well, our optimization platform said we reached statistical significance and version B is the winner. Okay, cool. Um, the elite programs use that as a dashboard to check direction, make sure there aren't any critical errors, like, you know, we're, we're running out of gas or the engine's overheating. The true learnings come from the integration with analytics and using analytics to dive incredibly deep into the results of that test, not just as a way of proving validity of the statistical measures of a test, but more in a, what didn't we know before that we can learn now about our consumer's behavior? And I guarantee you from doing this for 20 years, that running a test will always create more questions than it does provide answers. And so what those questions then do is then feed back into your roadmap and you iterate, you iterate on these tests. So, you know, rather than looking at it as we ran test B, it got to statistical significance. Now we ran test C. Um, it's we ran the test. We did this incredibly deep analysis of the results and we learned a bunch of stuff we didn't know before. And now we have 50 new questions. Let's prioritize the most valuable things that we want to learn from that. And then let's go back and iterate on that test. Again, not with the goal of squeezing incremental conversion rate lift out of it, but of squeezing more learnings out of it. And it's those techniques uh, that I think are making these organizations elite because they move from being 
an operationally driven program to being a learning program. And, and it's funny because you and I have been talking about using a visualization technique internally about how we plot our clients on their path to where we want to get them to an elite status. And I went back and I looked at the horizontal access axis of that visualization last night. And what did we have at the far right of that access? Learning. Learning. That the most elite companies that we're working with and where we want to get all of our clients to is in this quadrant where they are constantly in a mode of mode of learning. And oh, by the way, like increased conversion, better user experience, all those things we talked about end up being a result, but it's not the driver. The driver for these organizations is they want to be learning organizations. And techniques like taking a cyclical approach to testing where it's the cycle of insights and learnings and iteration is absolutely a proven framework and technique that is common across all of these organizations. Yeah, and it, it's fun when you see that light bulb finally go off uh, for you know with with a client. Um, we were on the phone yesterday with with a client that we've been really working with them on getting the the optimization program up and running, and and it has up until now getting things up and going. It's it's been operational and really introducing it and showing them the power of it. And I remember when we first started, we, we, one of the things we brought up with is, you know, getting to the point where we have a backlog and really building out a backlog. And one of our stakeholders started to panic. Like you could hear the panic in his voice mm. because he's like, I, I, I don't have the development, you know, capacity to, to do all of these things. And at the time we were like, it, it's okay. Like we're going to get there. The point of it is, is to have that backlog is it's ideas that you're flushing out and some of them, they just sound like a great idea at the beginning and it doesn't move forward. Other ones that you really, really refine it. And then the, the testing tool gives you the ability to, let's see if this does have any impact on visitor engagement and whatever by whatever metric you're looking for. And then depending upon the results of the test, that can inform development in the product roadmap of okay yeah this is something we need to move forward with or no this is an idea we scrap and we don't even have the developers work on it because it's interesting watching watching organizations throughout my career where everybody thinks they know what the visitor wants mm -hmm. they think they know it and but they don't actually test to see if it does it yeah sorry finish your thought and it, it, it brings back to now, now granted, like the testing we're talking about is different from like the, you know, it, it's oftentimes it's great when it's paired with the qualitative analysis. Uh, I was an organization I worked for that actually had a, a lab that would bring people in and had the eye tracking software and they would do user studies mm -hmm. on, on the site. And I remember this is going back like 12 years ago. And it was when like the ideas of like product pop-ups on listing pages and mm -hmm. mini carts and all of these things were like, everybody was adding them to their website, to their e-commerce site. And they were rolling it out for all of these clients. I worked for an e-commerce platform and then they did a usability study. And just the pure frustration you saw in people's faces, like this thing popping up out of nowhere and distracting people. Like the director of product who was new at the time, like the, the previous 
product director was the one that um, came up with these ideas. He saw that and he was, he was like on the verge of saying, we're ripping it off every site. Like this does nothing, but actually is more of a barrier than, than anything else. Mm -hmm. Back to how you kind of started that point. Do do you see, and I can't remember the exact words that you said, but you said something like, I don't have the development resources to support Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Whether we're talking about analytics or testing or, or really anything in this kind of MarTech ecosystem that we're, we're talking about, do you see that as a potential indicator or red flag that these organizations are looking at their optimization program again as the appearance of work rather than it being a critical part of their business? Meaning if optimization or, or analytics was seen as critical to the business, was a critical input into the product um, management um, component that we wouldn't be having those discussions. You know, I think about it all the time because I hear things like, yeah, we're not going to be able to get the dev team's time to build this data layer. Yeah, we can't get the dev team's time to help create the hooks into our optimization program. It's just not on our priority list. I really want to say, and maybe I should start saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't, aren't these components key inputs that are informing your product roadmap? How are we not prioritizing this time? It is critical to our success. It's, it's not a red flag in that sense. It was a red flag in the sense of going back to like, we were going to come up with our product roadmap and we're going to build it out. We're not going to test to see what ideas are worth building out. We're going to build it out. So it's a red flag in the sense that they don't, it's not that they don't see the value in an optimization program. They think of it operationally, like you were talking about in the beginning of, let's just move this here. Let's just move that there, where instead of thinking about what can I learn or what ideas are potentially valuable, they look at a testing backlog, like they look at every other development backlog of this is work I just have to get done instead of a key component to a successful optimization program being the ideation and hypothesis stage. What ideas, you know, for changing or modifying the customer experience, what ideas do we have? And then which ones have legs? Are, are all of these teams that disconnected from the purpose of the business? I mean, because that's what it feels like to me that um, if, if I hear what you're saying, it's almost like, well, we don't know why we're working on it other than this ticket had the most points for this from this sprint planning session. So that's what I work on next. I'm not hearing anything like, well, we're working on this because it's aligned with our company goal or mission to do X this quarter or this year. It's, it all seems highly, highly operational and more concerning, highly, highly disconnected for what the business is trying to create. Mm-hmm. I think many times, yes, it's just another job. Now, in this particular example I was giving, it's the, it was in the, the, um, it was, it was talking about how, like, when someone finally sees the value in it. And so with this particular client, when we first started talking about this nine months to a year ago already, there was like this hesitation of like, I have to do all of this work. They've gone on this journey with us. So now a year later, 
when we're at this stage and we're starting to talk about it, the light goes off. It's like, yes, I see now. It's the, let's just part, start putting ideas together again, see which ones have legs, see which ones actually are worth testing. And then which ones are now this is turning out to be a bad idea. Um, but there are plenty of examples of yes, working with teams like this, that they're not attached to the business. They're there with the purpose of, of moving tickets along of handing off a piece of code, marking something as complete and, and being, you know, they're not necessarily connected to, to the business. It sounds like um, a misalignment in incentives, honestly. And I think, you know, coming, bringing this back to optimization, we've seen this in, in a couple of companies that we've advised that have struggled to get, value out of their optimization program uh, again th they came to us and their their ask was we have a we have a technical problem with our optimization program like adobe target can't do this optimizely sucks it can't do that um and when we got in there it was very clear that both of those platforms were more than capable of doing everything that the customers wanted to have done what they had was an incentive problem in which the teams were incented to, again, going back to cadence, run a certain number of tests or run a certain number of tests concurrently. That's what they were being incented on. They had actual bonuses based on that, not what were we learning, what were the outcomes. So was it any surprise that we were failing to get ROI out of our testing platforms because we were incenting our teams just to run tests? So it's like, oh, let's just run a bunch of crappy tests. Um, and so, I, you know, it, it sounds like in addition to not being aligned with, with business outcomes, a lot of times maybe our incentive programs are misaligned where we're actually inadvertently creating this behavior that we're trying to solve for. And sadly, as, as consultants, and you know, I think as a company, it's something that we're working incredibly hard to solve for and elevate the work that we do and the position that we have in the marketplace to be able to have a strong enough voice to say that is that we need to have the ability to come in and say, I know you're saying this is a technology problem. We're here to tell you it 100% isn't. We need to be trusted on that. And I think right now, there's just a general, unless you're Bain or McKinsey or one of these big management consulting firms, you know, unfortunately, we just don't have the uh, cachet. I don't know if that's the right word to be able to have an opinion that's not software driven because in our space, Every agency out there almost is a technology solution first approach. So when companies reach out to an agency saying, hey, we have a problem with our optimization program, they've been preconditioned that the agency is going to come in and say, oh, well, it's, an, it's, a, it's a technology problem. Let's replace Optimizely with Adobe Target. And so when an agency comes in and says, Optimizely is perfectly fine for what you're trying to do here. You, you don't have a technology problem. You have a people and process problem. They're like, whoa, no, 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 no. We're perfect on that front. You know, don't even try to poke the bear there. Um, but again, if, if we're unwilling to have those conversations, we're just kind of doing work to do work. We're ripping, replacing solutions We're, you know, we're hammering, hammering, hammering on the technology. It doesn't fix the problem. And then we step back and are frustrated and confused on why we solve the problem. So again, I think if, 
if nothing else from this conversation, I hope people are walking away with at least a little bit of an itch to say, wait a minute, maybe we need to be a bit more broad in our thinking and not trying to solve every problem with technology and that we need to be a little bit vulnerable, a little bit open to addressing our people and process to see if there may be some fundamental issues there that are holding us back from running uh, an elite optimization program. Why do you think organizations have such a visceral reaction to the news of you have a people in process issue? No, No technology is going to solve for that. Because most organizations are not learning organizations. And, and organizations that are in a learning mindset um, know that they will never have all the answers. They will know that the more they learn, the less they understand. It is a lifetime pursuit of knowledge and learning um, that will never be completed. Most organizations are not like that. They've convinced themselves, ego-driven, that their people are the best and brightest in the world, that they have no issues that any issues they have are the vendor's fault, the software's fault. So if we can just get the vendor to get their shit together, if we can just buy a different piece of software, that's going to solve our problems. It deflects from having to admit that we are not perfect, that we don't know everything. But that's what keeps these companies stuck in very mediocre performance. Again, the most elite companies in the world are learning companies that have gotten to a place of comfort where they can freely admit we are not perfect, we will never know everything, and because of that, we're open to learning new things, making our people better, making our processes better. But for the mediocre companies of the world, they're never going to allow, their ego is never going to allow them to admit that, and until they do, they're going to be stuck in being incredibly incredibly mediocre let that hang there for a minute exactly (laughs) (laughs) and i mean look i you know we we all have ego challenges to deal with and we all i think maybe get a little bit uncomfortable or even upset when when those are challenged but unless we're able to admit that we don't know everything we're just simply never going to advance i think i've shared the story a lot of one of the guys that I worked with, um, my first job out of college, um, that always had the right answers, always knew everything. I'm like, you're, you're six months removed from college that you've never had any real world experience. And even times where, even times where he would say, Hey, I'm having a problem. Can someone look at it? And someone else would come in and help provide some guidance or direction Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. He that's would always couch it with, "Yeah, oh yeah, yeah that's right." Ah, brain fart, you know. Like I knew that, and you know, he's still there, and maybe he's moved up a couple levels in the organization, but he's he never progressed. He never moved forward, and and I truly believe a big part of that was just this inability to say, "Man, I don't know." Oh, I got that wrong, you know. I did this and I messed it up. You know, what can I learn from that? Like lacking the ability to do that has kept him frozen in place for 20 years. Wow. Makes me sad to think about actually. Yeah, I, I, I would be too. So, um, 
but yeah, I mean, the, this is, this has been good. It, it did, you know, I was, it's, it's interesting. Like sometimes when I kind of have an idea of where I think our, our conversation will go kind of focusing on maybe, you know, like, uh, I don't want to say tips and tricks like that. That's hacky. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of like, uh, yeah, they, they, they take this approach or they do that. It, it, it usually, it turns out we, we talk about something completely different in this case, like having the right people, the right alignment, you know, cause then at that point, things like the tool itself or, 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 or specific steps become moot because, because you have, you know, the, 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 the right alignment enable, you know, it really takes care of a lot of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. It's so critical. Yeah. Cool. Well, this is, this has been good. Um, so we'll go ahead and wrap up for now and, um, any closing thoughts? No, I mean, I think kind of, I want people to walk away with, um, kind of challenging their assumptions and, and just maybe being a little bit, um, a little bit vulnerable to, to having that discussion with themselves and saying, am I, am I falling into that trap of blaming vendors of blaming software? And do I need to be a little bit more open into evaluating myself and our larger people and process issues? Because I think if people are willing to do that, they will uncover a, a lifetime of learnings and refinements that can be done that were, frozen in there and and really holding them back so that's what i would leave us with is that that's my challenge if you've made it this far into the discussion and i know that it was kind of centered around optimization um but this really holds true regardless of anything you know we don't even need to be talking about technology or testing or data or analytics or marketing anything you're doing you know if you can challenge that that ego component that keeps you from looking at people in process i guarantee you that there's a wealth of eliteness that you can unlock if you're willing to be vulnerable and look at that damn it i was on mute again (laughs) (laughs) um so i was just saying like that's a great place to, to to wrap up so on that note we'll we'll end it here and we'll talk to everybody later see you awesome see you Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.